Today on Business Therapy, John and I are going to do a dive into decision making and how to become a more effective decision maker. We talk about the different aspects of approaching decisions and also how to approach it with a conscious mindset and how that helps with our efficiency and our productivity. At the end of the episode, you're going to get some summary points from John and I on how we make effective decisions. And we're hoping that by listening to this episode, you also can improve your decision making framework and get out there and live a more productive, efficient life. So if you're the kind of person that struggles to make decisions, this is the episode for you. Don't miss it. Welcome to Business Therapy, the podcast that explores the intersection of business and mindfulness. In this show, we bring you stories and expert insights on how mindfulness can help you succeed in your career and lead a more fulfilling life. Let's talk about it on Business Therapy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Business Therapy. This is episode 78. You've got Sam Droshak here, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jonathan Adams. Hey, everyone. Before we hop in, please don't forget to like us on all the channels you may be listening, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and let's uh, start a conversation. Also, don't forget to comment and engage. If there's anything that you want to hear about in business therapy or that's on your mind, we'd love to hear from you also. And with that, we'll jump right in. Today, Jonathan and I are going to talk about decision making. And I think we'll we'll talk about business decision making because it can be a little bit more high stakes, but also you can't separate that from personal decision making. They're really combined. So I, I have a lot of logic that I use around this, and I call it mindful logic. And it's really helped me become a super productive person, both personally and professionally. And I know Jonathan has a lot of a lot of thoughts and pondering on this as well. But decision-making is critical. It's, it's everything we do. Anytime we're not acting on something, we're making decisions. So, you know, the way I look at process in life is you've got to think about, okay, what am I doing if I'm not engaged in activity? Well, you're deciding what to do next or you're making a decision. So being able to optimize your decision-making, how you approach decisions, what kind of data you use, it's really paramount to having an efficient life, no matter what you're engaged in. Yeah, I obviously totally agree. The, I, found, I found myself in, in so much of my life having decisions as a major part of my day or, or as, a, as a, my to-do list. You know, so like, I almost felt like I always was collecting all these major decisions to make. And, and I think when you think about it, there's always a decision. You know, like, so when you get out of bed, you know, do I bang my head? Do, do I bang my you know, head on the floor at the same time? Like, obviously the answer is no, but I'm saying like, you, you could just have an endless series of options in front of you that can present itself as a decision and, and allow you to get stuck because there's always the possibility of making a mistake somehow. And I think that, that all, you know, the whole decision-making that the weight of it probably goes all the way back from our flight or, or, you know, the, flight or flight, uh, no, fight or flight uh, response and learning from our environment of, of what's dangerous out there and being so afraid to make a choice on something that could result in that danger coming back to us. And so I think uh, as a society, we're, we're and, and, and certainly as, as individuals, we're, and, and definitely as organizations, you're, we're far more likely to remember the things that went wrong and as you collect those and the longer your organization goes on, the more likely that those collection of, of problems that occurred from decisions that were made will box you into not being able to act. So I, I love this topic because 
if you just think of a decision as something you need to be liberated from, as opposed to, you know, make all the time, uh, I think uh, you can really free up a lot of time and, and stress and anxiety. Yeah. Well, the one thing you talk about the word liberated from making is an interesting uh, way to frame it, because I also agree that you want to spend as little time making decisions as possible. You know, that's a, that's a, a different way to look at being liberated from it. If you look at decisions as this weighty activity that has so many consequences, it needs to be handled carefully. You spend so much time making decisions, but really we should be, if we want to be effective people and effective decision makers, ironically, you want to spend as little time as possible making decisions. Because when you're not making decisions, as I, as I teed off the episode, you're acting on things. You're already, you're acting out whatever the last decision is that you made. So if you want to think about prioritizing more action in your life and producing and, and creating, you have to minimize actively your decision-making processes. And part of that, to Jonathan's point, if you're going to look at every decision as this monumental task that requires a lot of research and a lot of care, you're going to get bogged down. Even if you make a lot of great decisions, you know, the person who is out there just making this the same decision, maybe a little less effectively, but they make 50 of them by the time you make one, they're out there getting a lot more done. Their life is a lot more dynamic. Their life is a lot more engaged. So I think a lot of, you know, what I want to talk about in this episode is how do you get there? How do you liberate yourself from all this pressure on making the right decision, but just move through your decisions and keep energy moving, keep energy flowing? Because really it's about getting past the decisions quickly and effectively. And I think it starts with this, with, you know, what I think you were starting to, to, to allude to is I think people have in their head that if they do all this upfront work before they make a decision, they'll know their future, you know, like the outcome will be, you know, definite. But the one thing we know for sure is nobody gets the future right. And as often as not, a decision has unintended uh, changes and consequences that as not. But the faster you make decisions, the faster you get to the other side of it and actually can see what's going to happen in life. And then you can iterate from it. But as long as you're in that stuck in that decision, you're not in life. You're, you're in your head. You know, so, you know, a lot of times I've seen organizations that can't seem to, to, to make a decision. And the second I know that, the second I know that from a governance perspective, they can't, you know, that they're slow to make decisions. I know that they're going to other, be other symptoms that that organization is going to have. And one of them is it's not a learning culture. It's probably a blame culture because that caution means that people are afraid to act. They're afraid to make a mistake. So that means they're not learning from from anything that they're hap- that, that's that's happening. It also means that there's no movement, there's no change, there's no growth, there's no adaptability. So that's why I think of it as being chained. You know, when, when I think of that decision, because you're just in quicksand. As long as you have to make a decision, nothing moves forward. Nothing's happening. It's all in your head. It's all in your plans. It's all in your dreams, intentions, and hopes. And no matter how big a decision it is, it could be: should we make a merger? Or as an individual, should I uh, stay in this relationship or should I leave my job? All that ruminating exists only in your head or in a collection of heads, but it's not playing out in the real world. So it's much more dynamic to get it out into the real world as soon as possible. 
Yeah, and, and this is what they call in the business place analysis paralysis. It's what we've been hitting on for the last few minutes here, which is whether you're in your head or whether you're painfully uh, in the decision, you're not acting. You're paralyzed, literally. Analysis paralysis is a state of you being paralyzed. And if you actually think what that invokes, you're just unable to move, unable to do anything. It's the least productive state that you can be in, which is constantly analyzing decisions. And another thing that Jonathan mentioned that I think is critical, and I want to I want to segue into this whole time aspect, is this fear of the future or this understanding that you can make a decision to control your future. That's where a lot of people get paralyzed in decision-making because you could say, oh, well, Sam and John, you say spend less time making decisions, but how is that going to help me make better decisions and get the things that I want? Well, I think part of it is you have to condense your scope of time. And that's the mindfulness part of this. If you're being mindful, you know, if you're practicing presence, which is part of this mindfulness and consciousness space, you may have heard there's no present or there's no past and there's no future. There's nothing where that's actually more practical, even if you think that's a very impractical statement. There's nothing more practical when it comes to decision making. If you think about the word future for just a second, future by definition is what is unknown. Think about that. When you think about trying to control a f- the future, you'll never be able to control the future because the future itself will never be known to you. Wherever you are, there's always going to be a future in front of you that you fundamentally can't know and you can't control. The only thing you can know is what you know right now in this moment. And you really need to focus on condensing decision making to what is known. That's how you make it less overwhelming. Because if you think about it, oh, you wanted to cut in there, Jonathan? Well, just the, and the critical part is like what's known, but people mistake what could be known, you know? And so that's where they get into this, you know, gathering endless data or conversation, you know, as opposed to acting. So I'm just throwing that in there. Yeah, for sure. And that's the whole thing. If you think about, okay, I'm in this really difficult decision and I've got to do a lot more research, a lot more research. Just the fact that you're saying to yourself, you need to do a lot more research means that you feel there's a lot of data or information or knowledge you do not have that would be needed to make a decision. If you think about trying to make a decision with information you don't have to make the decision, then you're probably trying to make the wrong decision in that moment in time. For some reason, we've all culturally developed this instinct. Well, okay, this is the decision I've decided I need to make. And if I don't have all of the information to make it, I need to now go and busy myself collecting it all so that I can be better informed. What about flipping that paradigm on its head and thinking, if I don't have the information at hand to make a decision, it's probably the wrong decision in this moment that I need to be making. Why don't I instead consciously focus on understanding what I know in this moment and making my next decision a well-informed decision based on what I know. And that is, is a way to switch your perspective a little bit. And that's the way that organizations too, and people just in your personal life, you can start to reduce the scope of complexity, the scope of ambiguity, so that you feel more empowered with what you have to make decisions that are right in front of you. It helps you kind of move through some of that paralysis. And, and you know, along the lines of being mindful, I think people conflate a lot of things with the decision-making process. So they, they're stuck in the past because they're thinking about, oh, let's say if only we would have started this initiative two years ago, we'd be so much further ahead. So they're, they're just, they can't get past that point, you know, or if only I would have taken up the language earlier on, you know, I'd be able to, to move forward. That has nothing to do with the decision today. 
that that's 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 all in the past. And similarly, people are always conflating a decision that maybe even they know already to make with things like what's going to happen once I share this decision with people. Maybe they'll be you know pushback on it. Maybe people won't be happy about it. And and how do I manage that? And uh, or people think they have an endless amount of time to make a decision. Like I don't need to do that. So so I do it, even though it's taking up their energy and, and focus, et cetera. So, so I think the, the first step is making sure that what you're reacting to or what's slowing you down is actually a decision as opposed to everything you're associated with the decision uh, and, and not being present uh, for the decision. Yeah. And, and I'll move on to another point. We're just going to throw these points in here. We'll try to maybe take a minute or two to summarize at the end. So you have our chaotic framework for decision-making but the one thing, and I think actually you alluded to this earlier, Jonathan, too. Another thing is reducing the value of making the right decision. Because if you actually, in reality, if you look at what happens in organizations, particularly, mistakes, they you move on. The The need to make a perfect decision is really not that high. and And not every decision has to be perfect. Not even every decision has to be great. You know, a lot of times uh, professionally, if you're making a decision and say you're only 70% sure that it's the right one or the outcome, then that's no longer called like making a decision. It's called running an experiment. And when you run experiments, then you just couch it that way. And then you look for the outcome and then you learn from it and then you make another decision. But life is very iterative. So a lot of it's your perspective. And I love how you put it that like the experimentation, again, the best way to experiment is to run the experiment not to plan, spend all your time planning the experiment and and trying to predict exactly how it's all going to play out and exactly what's going to happen. No, the more engaged you are in action, the more likely you're going to get data. So people have to flip it on their, on the, on, on the head, this idea that I need to know everything before I do anything. Yeah. And that's, and that's, uh, it, there's a lot to be said about the action and the experience you gain. So when you think if you just sit in your chair and you think about what you have at hand to make a decision, you spend, let's say, let's say you spend 10 hours thinking to make one decision and another person just makes 10 decisions and they only think an hour for each one. Just, just as a comparison, you could say that that person, they get it, they could get it wrong nine times and get it right on the 10th time. And you may get it right, or you may get it wrong in the 10th time, but you're going to be matched. And I guarantee that person is also learning in a whole different degree than you are just sitting. Because if you're just thinking about making a decision and not acting, you can only engage in your mind. If you're experimenting, if you're engaging, you can also engage experientially. Your body, you get to build muscle, you get to be out there doing the thing, and you learn on so many different dimensions. And this is why this idea of action is so powerful compared to inaction because you're learning and firing on so many different dimensions. Even if the person failed nine times and hit it right on the 10th time and you hit it right on the first time, but you, you hit it, it's that same 10 hour arc. They had so much other learning that was not even maybe a J, like part of the problem, but they've now not only solved the same problem you solved, but they've also learned a number of other things that could be now useful for them in other future scenarios. So just think of the productivity that we're talking about. And staying with the hypothesis, with the experimentation theme, you, if, you're, if you haven't made a decision, you're, you're just in hypothesis phase. Meanwhile, if someone else is just 
trying things, they're way past hypothesis. They're proving it in the real world. That's the best conditions to do so. So if you think of it as experimentation, another reason I like that word is the non-judgmental aspect of it. Uh, then, then life is just a lot more iterative, a lot more learning, a lot more adaptive, a lot more agile as opposed to just spending all your time on a hypothesis and dreaming of what might happen one day. Yeah, and I, th- I think this whole agile, iterative experiment, uh, like experiment mentality has become more prevalent in this generation more than ever because things are moving so much faster and you can't really be expected to make the right decision or the methodical decision as fast as people expect you to, personally or professionally. And, and I think that's different than, you know, uh, a different time in business, maybe that I wasn't I wasn't as much a part of this, but where you would be expected to maybe do a ton of research, that decisions had more weight or more perceived weight. Like if we mess this decision up, it's going to be a problem. Like if I spend six months getting a conference together and we have to travel there and do all these things and it flops and we because we didn't do our research, that's a much bigger problem. But nowadays, everything is faster. There's more data available. There's just more movement and action. And if you're the kind of person that's saying every decision has this terrible consequence if I if I fail, you're just going to be blown away. You'll just be left in the dust. And and what Sam, you know, the example you just gave with uh, um, you know having a conference and the conference, you know, wasn't planned or you know, et cetera. A lot of the details of like what's a bust or what goes badly or, or decisions that don't, uh, you know, get you a return on investment. Well, A, I'll just say that most decisions and most projects and most efforts don't get a return on investment. That's in the real world. That's in the personal world. You know, so like I'll disabuse everybody of the notion that, you know, like we're going to, ha- we're going to raise our batting average by, by, you know, spending so much more time. It just, just doesn't work like that in, in, in the real world. Um, but the second part of the, it is, is why are you doing anything you're doing? So, and this, this is bad if it's okay to segue into this at, at this point a little bit, but what I've experienced in my life is the more I understand why I'm doing whatever I'm doing or, you know, a purpose writ large for, for all of my activity, the less anything feels like a mistake and it just feels like I'm getting closer to a goal. So, and when you're getting closer to a goal, it doesn't matter, you know, if you, one day go a step toward it or, you know, three steps toward it another day. And then maybe only half a step another day. There's a movement that's occurring and you're not really thinking about like every single misstep or or anything like that. I think the weight of a decision or a decision going wrong where, where really you feel it is when everyone's not really sure about why they're doing anything that they're doing. And then everything could be a waste, you know? So, and it's also, it's, it's, that's how you become very risk averse as an organization. Because if your whole goal is just to maintain your status quo or avoid pain, then anything you do can cause pain. And if you somehow amazingly do a great job of something, it's not that much of a victory. But the more that you have a sense of why you're doing anything, then okay, everything's experimentation just to get there. So even a failure, quote unquote, is an opportunity to get to wherever you're trying to go. Right. And that's the, that it's so critical. And let's go back to the conference example for a minute, how you present the why this is part of being honest about what decision you're making, why you're doing what you're doing. So let's say I'm setting up this conference that's going to take me six months to prepare. And it's a big expense for the company. 
if you go into it with a why, your why is, well, this is going to be our entire sales strategy for the year and it has to work. That's a lot. The decisions then suddenly become a lot more dramatic than, oh, we're not really sure. We don't have the data to prove this will work, but we think it'd be a great data point. And we think it could be, you know, we have some early indicators that this could be a really great thing. Well, what happens is if you go in with the latter, you might not sell it as easily within your company, but that's probably then right because you don't have the data to back it up. So it's like the why is experimental in that case versus the why having to be this ultimate goal that's going to be, has to come up with all these numbers and has to make the thing. And if you think, well, if I, no one's going to want to engage with it if I can't sell it that way, then, then the question is, it comes back to the, a few layers back of why are you doing this? Where is the honesty in it? Like why, what's the truth of it? Because if you lead with something that's not true, it's going to make the, the conversation very confused. But that's, so using the example of like, we have to come up with our sales strategy for the year. So maybe in fact, like you need a sales strategy. If you associate the how, the conference with that being the only way to get there, then that becomes a very big problem. But at least even having the idea, okay, the, this, this meeting is related to creating a sales strategy. Let's say the meeting's a bust. You could still create your sales strategy and be successful in your goal. And having a meeting, you'll learn from you know, whether or not that meeting you know, is, is the best way to go about it, is worth the ROI. Maybe there's other ways of getting, you know, developing your sales strategy or something like that. But that's at least a higher level. What I find is most people are doing a lot of things, especially organizations, without any one. So why are we having this meeting? Because we always have quarterly meetings, you know, or we always have a sales meeting, or we always have a whatever. You know, like that's just what we do. That's, you know, or we should be doing this or something like that. And that's where everything can feel like a waste. And that's the, that, that's the most dramatic waste. Uh, now, ideally, if the organization is like, okay, because we want to make the world a better place, you know, like, let's just pick something, something like that. Then everything that you're trying, if it's truly connected to that, can feel good. You know, at least I'm, I'm you know, I'm on the, the side of doing, you know, adding, trying to add value somehow. So yeah. it, it, it's, it's the, the biggest waste is just when it's disconnected from purpose. And you can carry that to the individual level when, like, when I get out of bed, I have so many options of what I'm going to do. All of it's possibly good, possibly bad, you know, if you want to ascribe, you know, good or bad to things. But if you don't really have an overarching purpose, you know, just I get up because I get up and I go to work because I go to work and, you know, like, and, but you're not really going for anything, then you're going to have, you're going to be faced with a million decisions every single day. Whereas if you have a purpose, you're like, do I need to even make this decision? Is it relating to my why? And if it is relating to my why, what's going to help me get there quicker, you know, potentially, you know, so, but it just makes it much easier and it makes, it cuts down on decisions, period. Yeah, and it, it actually rolls up into what we've talked about. It's a theme of just having the data you need on hand to make good decisions. Because having your why or having a purpose is a big part of, of guiding a decision-making process. So if you aren't clear on that, you're going into each decision without a large, a significant portion of the data one would need to make a sound decision. So if you think, talk about getting up in the morning, brushing your teeth every morning is a decision. Why do you brush your teeth? To Jonathan's point, if it's just because, oh, I'm supposed to get up and do this every day and you've never asked why or if it aligns with you or something you want to do, then it might be a decision every morning. 
it might be, do I want to do it today because I'm supposed to? I don't feel like it. But if you get up and say, this is part of my dental health, I am a healthy individual. This is an investment that I believe is worth making. You've already thought clearly through this process. This is no longer a decision to you because every day it's the same principles in the same context that are being applied. The why remains consistent. So I don't get up and I have this negotiation with myself every day, whether I feel like it or not. I've already decided that the, the why behind that process is aligned with my person. And it makes the decision almost, a, it makes it almost like an automated decision, a non-decision. But when you get to more complicated, especially business scenarios, it's the same question no matter what, when you're involved, what are you trying to accomplish? Why are you trying to accomplish that? Is it aligned with you as a person? Is it aligned with your goals? Is it aligned with your team's goals? If you can't answer that, that's half the half the data you would need to decide whatever you're trying to decide is missing. And I see people constantly trying to roll through that without trying to get that. That's that's relating this why to just having the data you need to make a decision. And, and I'll I'll pair that with, you know, what you brought up the data again. Um, if I had a choice and I, and I was you know counseling an organization, making a decision between asking do you have enough data? You know, the first question is like Sam said, the why, like why are you doing this at all? You know, like before getting into anything. But then the second thing is, as opposed to, do you have enough data? I would try and figure out, is everyone calm? Is everyone being present while this decision is being made? Because then I have a sense of how clouded their vision is as they're making this decision. So is there some politics that that's going on here? Is there... Or is there an attempt to re-figure uh, out a decision that had made a long time ago and try and press it as, uh, you know, uh, an influence, you know, something that people want to change or something like that, as opposed to uh, how much data do you have for this decision? Because the answer to that question is always not enough because there's always endless amounts of data. So but if I see everybody's very present and very clear when they're making a decision, that's probably a better indicator if they have enough information. But I would argue that's data. That's the data that you need, whether the politics behind it, whether everyone's aligned, you know, to some extent, that is part of what you need to know. 100%. And I, I, I would agree, but I, I guess I'm using data as the, in the more uh, typical way that people consider collecting data. I don't think people would ever ask that question generally, <laughs> you know, like, like is politics involved? Like that's people wouldn't say that, you know, they specifically would avoid that you know, uh, question. Well, and, and that's part of the problem that people want to avoid the questions that would provide them the data, or I should say information to make it more. I, I think of the whole universe and data, because like I, I'm kind of half robot sometimes, but it's just really what is the information you need? And if you don't ask the question, then you can't make the decision. Again, and if you're sitting around the meeting table, you could theoretically think every decision that you could ponder could be made effectively with, let's say, 95% of the available data that's germane to the problem, to the question you're trying to answer. You, in reality, you'll only ever have a subset of that. It won't be possible to have more than, let's say, 60, 70%. And the percent of data you don't have going into a decision, it's just risk that you're taking on. You make assumptions, you you take guesses. So there's a very like, there's a return on investment type of logic to decision-making. And that's why part of the key to be a good decision-maker is don't tackle decisions 
were you going in with 50% of the data you would need to make a decision? Oftentimes, that's again, I'm just repeating, we don't need to be making decisions if you don't have it. And you might not have it because like Jonathan said, you're not willing to ask for it. You're not willing to ask yourself for the why, or you're not willing to ask yourself for a portion of it. But whatever it is, you're going to drive yourself crazy if you're seeing how I'm describing it, which is either I need to change the decision, the questions I'm asking myself because I have enough information to answer them adequately, or I need to be bold and I need to ask and investigate myself and others to get the information I need to answer. If you're constantly just in a place where you're trying to answer a question to which you don't have enough information to answer, that's the state of paralysis that you need to avoid. That's being unconscious. That's not pausing to think and, and, and address it in a smart manner. And you introduced, you know, risk in, in, in what you just said and probably the number one reason people don't make decisions, but as you get more and more experience, and if you look at any of the data, let's use the word again, uh, it's clear that the risks posed by inaction are always greater than the risks of action. Because inaction, if it's a present decision, if in fact the decision needs to be made. So like, I think we've been covering half the time, there is no, you don't actually have a decision that needs to be made or it's not ripe for being made or et cetera. But once a decision is ripe to be made, but you're just afraid of the, of, of the consequences of making that decision, now you've entered a zone where you are actually bringing on more risk to yourself and your organization than you would by acting. And that's a really hard concept for people to get. Yeah. There's times inaction is an action in business. If it's an, an inaction, if it's a decision, Conscious action. action. Yeah. Conscious, yeah. That, then that's conscious action. That's a decision. That's healthy. Unconscious that's, inaction is almost most of the time wrong is what you're trying to say, right? It's like inaction is going to have a business consequence. And you can choose consciously to not act because that can actually be a good thing. But if, you, if you're unconsciously or inadvertently choosing to not act just because you're not taking action, that can most often be a bad thing. If that wasn't confusing enough. <laughs> Agreed. All right. Um, but maybe, maybe let's get it back to like some, some summary. So we, uh, yeah, let me, I'll take a stab and then you take a stab. So we'll summarize our most poignant points because you get into something like this and you think decision-making, you know, I, I, if you've watched the show long enough, you probably know that Jonathan and I aren't the type that are just going to give you a list of the top five in a row and, and tie it up with a bow for you. There's, there's a bit of a process to kind of weigh all the factors and how does consciousness weigh in? But I'm going to try. I'll try now to give you a few solid points in summary from my perspective. I think the keys to decision making are, number one, making sure that you're aware of the information you need or that you have on hand to answer the question you're trying to answer. And being very conscious about if you don't have enough, then you either need to not answer that question and pick a new question to answer, or you need to go and actively get that information. And again, another decision is if the information is not available, probably not the right decision at this time. And just to tell you what I do personally, if somebody asks me a big question, I know it can't be answered adequately at that moment. I say, this is not the time to answer that question. We need to move on to other things and continue to be productive. And I'm sure if it's relevant, it will present itself at the right time. That's a, a present mindset. So it's, it's about reducing the scope of questions so that you actually have the the adequate means and to make them properly. And then the second thing for me is, is to make 
always at the top of your mind think, I need to be making decisions faster. I need to spend less time making decisions and prioritize action over decision making. So those are my big two summary points to help you become a more effective decision maker. And again, that's don't sweat the decisions, make them as fast as you can, and just try to assess whether you can make it or not effectively. And that's pretty much it for me. And practicing, practicing, always practicing. And I'll, I'll just leave, uh, I'll leave with uh, an idea on types of decisions that you want to, you want to amass or avoid. So if your decision making, if you find your decision making is constantly in the whether to do something space and you're stuck there all the time, that's, that means that you probably lack your why. You probably lack why you go, why are you doing whatever you're doing and everything is a whether to. If you're in the space of how to do things, that's a much better place to be. That's already getting into the action mindset. And it means you generally have a framework, you know, by which to, um, by which you're operating. So I would just say, see what the balance of your decisions are in those spaces and always try and be in the how, because that's more action oriented. Sounds good. And that's it from that's it from us this week. So thanks for tuning in to Business Therapy, uh, this conversation on decision making. Don't forget to like, subscribe, give us some love on whatever platform you're listening. And otherwise, we will catch you next week.